This is episode number two with Tammy Green. Welcome to The Marriage Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Price, international marriage interventionist and best-selling co-author of Success Breakthroughs. On this show, I provide innovative solutions for marital success by focusing on personal development and relationship transformation. Every week, I'll be talking with thought leaders from around the world and will be providing your weekly dose of wisdom so you can catapult yourselves to marital success and true life fulfillment. I ask you to love one another, encourage and support each other, and live with passion. Are you ready? Here we go. Tammy Green is a psychotherapist and women's empowerment coach. She specializes in helping people release shame and guilt that has plagued them from painful life experiences. She helps clients heal, step into their power, own their truth, and live authentically. Tammy, welcome to The Marriage Show. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with everyone. Nice to have you here today. I can't wait to dive into this discussion with you and learn from you. I know you have so much wisdom to offer. Before we dive in, can you please tell us, what is love to you? Love to me is being seen. And I think it's more than just being seen, but it's being seen and accepted. And I I view love as really being able to be present with my partner and knowing that they're seeing all of me. And I don't just mean what's on the physical surface, but what's deeper than that, the warts, the the scars, the parts of me that I like to keep hidden, the parts of me that I think are ugly. And knowing that my partner sees all of that in me and still accepts me for who I am without wanting to change those things, without wanting to erase them or reprogram them, but just knowing that I am fully accepted by my partner and completely visible in every way to my partner. That's what love is to me. Mm, beautiful. I love that. I love that. Full acceptance. Unconditional. Yes, absolutely. Love it. Love it. We're talking about guilt and shame, and I've lived with guilt and shame. We all have, right? But both emotions are insidious. They're poisonous and destructive to live with, especially if you're living with them long term. For me, guilt and shame are two of the ugliest emotions to endure. So let's start by defining the difference between the two. So what is the difference between shame and guilt? Guilt is one of those things that we feel when we do something outside of our value system. So we all have certain values that are really important to us. And usually we get those from our parents and they're kind of passed down and we adapt them for ourselves as we become adults. So when we do something that's outside of our value system, for instance, say you really value not lying and then you tell a fib, a white lie, then you would experience some guilt for that. So in that sense, we say that the behavior that you engaged in is bad. But you as a whole person, you're still really good. Like we can't cross you out and say that you're an entirely bad person just because you told a white lie, even though your value is to not lie. But when we talk about shame, 
what happens is we end up condemning the entire person, not just the behavior. And so a great metaphor that I use to explain this is if you think about a little five-year-old boy who's sitting there and he spills his milk, you wouldn't say the boy is bad. You would say that was a bad behavior because he spilled his milk from playing with his food. But we would never say that the child inherently is bad because he did that. So we use guilt to help change the behavior, but we're not going to condemn somebody unless when we do condemn somebody, what we are essentially saying to them is that there is nothing good left in that person. So that's the difference between guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was raised with my mom saying, you know, hate the sin, but love the sinner. So it sounds like you're kind of saying the same thing. It's you can use guilt to drive yourself to be better. But if left unintended for a long period of time, it can really cause a lot of destruction. And same thing with shame as well. I love how you depicted the difference between the two. That's really beautiful. How does living with guilt and shame negatively affect a marriage? Yeah, so shame is referred to some people in the marriage industry as an emotional cancer. So if we think about cancer and how that just erodes the body, shame does the same thing within a marriage. It sabotages relationships. What it ends up doing is it allows people to duck responsibilities and they end up deflecting and denying any accountability for their behaviors within the relationship. And the reason this happens is because it's just simply too painful to face. So what ends up happening if you're somebody who's experiencing shame in a relationship is that we tend to minimize our behaviors, right? So for instance, if somebody's a drinker, a heavy drinker in a relationship and they know their spouse doesn't appreciate that, we might minimize that behavior by saying, oh, I don't really drink that much. It was one beer. What are you complaining about, right? So in a sense, what we're doing and the reason we do that is because to actually look at the truth behind that sentence or behind our behaviors means we have to acknowledge a deeper belief about ourselves, about shame and how we truly feel about ourselves. So what ends up happening is by minimizing our behavior with our partner, this becomes a filter for all communications in the relationship. And anytime somebody with shame is informed about something that their partner might not like, you know, they feel attacked. And once somebody goes on the defensive then they're completely shut down. Parts of their brain that normally work for rational conversations have turned off. It's like a light switch. It just turns itself off. And a different part of their brain that's in survival mode turns on. And once somebody makes that shift, neurologically speaking, into survival mode, there's no coming back from that, not immediately at least. There needs to be a time period to relax the situation, allow the person to feel safe again before they can process things from a more logical perspective and not emotional. So it becomes this filter for all communication within a marriage. And the person with shame, they just never feel good enough. And their go-to response tends to either be heavy in anger, so they might lash out a lot, or they might withdraw a lot. So you have the two extremes in behaviors there, one who is overly aggressive and one who becomes extremely passive. And unfortunately, both of these behaviors or both of these types of relationships are very unhealthy, and they can really be like a cancer in a marriage or in a serious relationship. Yes. You know, I see this a lot with my couples where 
you know, they have a host of problems. And what I have found with many of them is that it comes down to either guilt, shame, or trauma from childhood. And when I'm talking to them specifically about the guilt or the shame, I have found that once we remedy that, then the rest of the problems go away. You know, just naturally by themselves, they, they kind of self-correct. I love how you explained it. It's, it's kind of like the snowball effect where it starts with a little bit of guilt or shame, but then it turns into the lies. It turns into uh, the aggression and the anger and everything you just described. I think you, you really depicted that beautifully. So thank you for explaining that. Let's dive in a little bit deeper and tell us what are the components that create shame and guilt. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with the famous social worker, Brene Brown. And Brene Brown became very well known to the public eye because she has done just some really incredible research on shame. And what she found in her research is that there are actually three ingredients that shame needs in order to be created and survive. And her research says that the three things that are necessary are silence, secrecy and judgment. And so when we have these three ingredients, almost like we're baking a cake here, these three ingredients really cause the shame to take hold and to flourish and to grow. And when we are stuck in these three ingredients, it is really, really challenging, one, to even be aware that shame is part of your issue or something that's growing within you, but it's also really hard to unravel it and to remove it from your story about who you are and what type of person you are. It reminds me of that expression you hear, the truth shall set you free. So it's, it's yeah. like if you, can, if you can just come clean, let the truth be known, then you can begin to you know, foster healing and growth and forgiveness and, and whatever else needs to, to follow that. I want to dive in a little bit later on on what to do to remedy. But for now, I do have a question for you. What is the difference between normal shame and guilt and then toxic shame and guilt? So normal shame is we have to recognize that shame is something every human on the planet experiences, okay? So it's not that all levels of shame are unhealthy, but what ends up happening is when we have normal shame, a person with that level of shame, they have the coping skills to bounce back. So it's kind of like a funnel or a, a hole in the ground and Yes, we might go all the way to the bottom of that hole, but we have the skills to climb our way back out. So we are able to come back to a sense of equilibrium. And the time that we're in shame, it's just a temporary state that we can rebound from. But when we compare that to toxic shame, it's like falling into the hole, but not having a ladder in there or these skills to climb your way out. So there is no rebound effect. When people experience toxic shame, they tend to stay there. And unfortunately, they don't even recognize that they're there and there's no way that they have the tools and the skills to dig their way out from that hole. So what happens when we experience toxic shame and there's no rebound effect, as you can imagine, when you're stuck in that hole, it literally starts to change who they are at their core. And this is where shame becomes really dangerous because suddenly we are changing our complete definition of who we believe we are as a person, not just in our relationships, but just a human on this planet. And that's when toxic shame is really cancerous and poisonous to us. That's powerful and so deep. And 
it, it really reminds me of myself because I lived for so many years. You know, I'm, I'm 44 years old and I had premarital sex with, uh, with my boyfriend that I dated on and off for six years. And at 44 years old, uh, a little embarrassed to say, I just healed from the guilt and the shame that I felt from having had premarital sex because I was raised in a very traditional, you know, conservative uh, Christian home where you don't have premarital sex. And it really ate away at me for so long. And finally, several years ago, when I when I discovered the world of personal development and really dove in, I, I was able to free myself of that guilt and shame. But I know firsthand the toxicity of it. So I can't wait to kind of dive in in a little while and learn from you what to do about it so you can teach people. But yeah, it is it is toxic. It's a horrible feeling. And I understand firsthand the effect that it has physically on the body as well. I've studied emotions and the effects that they have on our health, our health meaning psychological, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And it's so fascinating to me to study the vibrational differences between the different negative emotions that we experience and the different positive emotions uh, that we experience. And living with either of these negative emotions, guilt or shame, is incredibly unhealthy. So tell us, what does living with guilt and shame long-term do to a person mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Yeah, absolutely. You know, exactly what you said, our bodies they become taken over by our emotions and we have this energy within us and we can raise that vibration and have it be positive or it can be negative. And obviously shame is a very heavy negative energy that we carry with us. It's typically housed in three specific areas. Normally it's housed in our head, in our chest or our heart area, and also in our stomach. So if you think about that, for instance, how it's stored in our head, a lot of people with uh, heavy shame or toxic shame, what they'll experiences a lot of anxiety, a lot of racing thoughts, a lot of tension and headaches. So you can imagine how having shame and the experience of shame could show up on a day-to-day basis with these symptoms and somebody might not even have the connection to recognize that it's shame that's inducing all of these symptoms. We also see it in the digestive issues. You know, people that carry all of their emotions, we tend to carry heavy emotions in our stomach. So people that struggle with IBS or various digestive problems, everything from constipation to diarrhea, all of these issues that we have where our digestion never seems to get regulated can also be linked to toxic shame. And then if we're talking about how it comes across in our chest and in our heart issue, we're looking at chest pains. We're looking at people that have a tremendous amount of tension in their shoulders and in their upper back. And this obviously can affect posture, but over a long period of time, it causes symptoms that our body just gets locked in, you know, and a lot of people end up using chiropractic care and acupuncture and a lot of other various treatments for some of these symptoms. But all of these symptoms are also integrated into their own emotional and mental health as well. Yeah, I know so many people, including myself for years, not knowing better, who 
and I'm a big fan of chiropractic care and, and naturopaths and all this stuff. And I, and I use these beautiful natural tools all the time still to this day. But I know for myself and so many people, we do turn to all of these different treatments, not realizing that we just have to stop and go back to either childhood or early adulthood where we experienced a particular trauma or participated in whatever, whatever that, you know, is causing us this emotional and psychological angst, whether it's guilt, shame, whatever negative emotion. And it's it's like putting a Band-Aid on or it's like taking a pill for a headache. You relieve the symptoms for short term, but not long term. And, and it's all this maintenance. And so it, it's really beautiful when you can just stop and attack whatever it is, the, the root of the problem and get to that. And then you go on to experience so much freedom. Let's talk about the human consciousness for, for just a minute. The the human conscious really, it really fascinates me because different people are affected differently when it comes to shame and guilt. One person's <laughs> conscious can be more sensitive than another's. One person can tear themselves apart over a teeny tiny little small white lie and just be riddled with guilt and shame over it. And then for the next person, it might take something as severe as murder for their conscious to kick in. And, and I know those are two very extremes. So what I want to know from you is what's, the, what's typical for most people? From your perspective, what are examples of things that, that you see in your clients that, that really create the level of guilt and shame that would be this toxic and destructive Well, Jennifer, you actually gave a great example of something, believe it or not, I see really frequently, which is women who have been struggling with premarital sex. That is something that shows up in my clients over and over and over again, especially because they have such a strong religious upbringing and they feel like they have just really violated a true value that was instilled in them by their parents. So that's definitely one. But other things that we've seen that I've seen a lot through my work is infidelity, especially in related to long-term monogamous relationships. Women who've had an abortion, when that might go against their value system, but whatever their situation was at the time, didn't allow them to feel like they could move forward with the pregnancy. I've worked with people with secret credit card debt that they've kept from their partners or who've had various affairs that might even be of the same gender, even though they're in a a marriage with somebody of the opposite gender. Also, people who've had the history of some sort of abuse in their childhood, be it physical abuse, sexual abuse, even emotional abuse. And of course, domestic violence is also something that I see pretty common. But one of the things that I'm really passionate about are people that have secrets. And secrets can be anything. They can range in anything from, like we talked about, going against basic values to something that for them might be horrendous, like cheating on an exam for their bar, you know, a lawyer who's taking the bar exam and cheating uh, for some reason. And when people have a secret, that's really where the shame tends to take hold and grows and it can just completely take over a person's livelihood. Yeah, I can see how it would be really poisonous to, to the psyche. Just, for, just briefly, since this is a marriage podcast, let's talk about infidelity for, for a brief moment. I hear many different marriage professionals and then different leaders of different churches from, from a Catholic priest to monks and Buddh- I mean, every religion, I've, I've heard different people give different answers. So I would love to know your opinion on this. 
and and something tells me that you're going to say the answer is varied depending on the situation. <laughs> but but I'd I'd love I'd love uh, your take on this. Let's say in marriage someone has cheated, infidelity, right? Mm-hmm. Do they tell their partner or do they keep it a secret? Because I I've heard you know a Catholic priest say, oh well, if it only happened once or twice, it's not going to do any good. Don't tell your spouse. Just just um, you know confess it promise yourself, promise God, you know, you're going to do better and move on. I have a hard time with that because like I said earlier, I really do believe that the truth shall set you free. And living with the guilt and the shame is very poisonous and and toxic to you. What is your take on that? What should a person tell their partner if infidelity has occurred? Well, I'm going to say yes to both examples that you gave. So You mentioned a priest who says if it's one or two times, you probably don't have to say anything and you can move on. I think that that is definitely a possibility because I do believe that there are extraneous situations where it is possible to release the shame and guilt of a burden or of a secret without ever having to come clean and disclose that to the person that's offended by it. So that's part A of my answer. And part B of my answer is it does depend because it's based on the value system of the person who offended and how much of an impact it's going to have on them and their ability to connect within a marriage. So I know something that we'll probably get to through this conversation is how we uproot the weed of shame in a person who has that toxic shame. And it is actually possible to uproot that without ever having to disclose a secret. So one of the things that I would say, especially in regards to marriage, is the affair has to absolutely, without a question, be over. It has to completely be done. And there has to be zero emotional, physical, or sexual attachment to the person that the affair was with. But again, how we decide to navigate that with couples is really individually based on who I'm working with at the time what their value system is, and what level of toxicity they're experiencing shame and guilt from their behaviors. Mm. I, I knew I knew you were going to say it varied. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, so many people, people are so different, and how they react and, and handle things is so different, too. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy to know you so that when I have couples come my way, if I have someone who's really struggling with uh, guilt or shame, from an affair, from an abortion, from anything that, and and they're literally riddled and plagued uh, to the point of being sick over their guilt and shame. I'm going to send them directly to you. So thank you, thank you for answering that question. I know I know that's a that's a those are tough waters to uh, to navigate there because you know a, a lot of people are going to be offended and angered if they hear any professional say no, you don't need to tell your spouse if you've had an affair if it's once or twice, but. But I think you're right. I think it really does depend on the people, the situation, the outcomes. There's so many different variables. There's no right or wrong, black or white answer here. So, okay. So moving forward, we've got guilt. We've got shame. Let's say it's on a toxic level. What is the remedy? How does a person forgive themselves and move beyond living with guilt and shame? Yeah, so again, I'm going to go back to the research of Brene Brown, and what she found was there are three C's that she quotes. She quotes connection, courage, and compassion. Now, by connection, what we're talking about is 
getting away from isolation because shame also lives in isolation. When we start closing ourselves off to other people, we also stop being vulnerable with other people. So anytime there's a lack of vulnerability, that means that we have a lack of authenticity. We're not able to really be ourselves. So connection is the first thing that must be there. We have to start connecting to other people and being having it be safe enough for us to be ourselves authentically without feeling like we have to hide parts of who we are. The second C that she describes is courage. And courage is really about having the courage to be vulnerable, to be present in a relationship, and to assert your rights. It's claiming what's rightfully yours. It's taking care of your own needs and recognizing that it is okay to do that in the safety and the context of a relationship. So that's a really important ingredient. And the third C that she describes is compassion. When we look at compassion, we look at compassion not just for other people, but more importantly, compassion for ourselves. We have to really be able to look in the mirror and acknowledge that it's okay that we made mistakes. It's okay that we said something or did something that we regret. Because when it comes down to it, we're human. And sometimes we lose the fact that we are just another individual. We are part of this human species and every single person on the planet has imperfections. And when we start viewing ourselves from a more humanistic perspective, then we recognize that perfectionism doesn't exist. And therefore, we can release the, the framework that we've created that we have to be perfect because perfectionism is also a sign of shame that somebody might be experiencing. So to answer your question, the short answer is we're looking for connection, courage, and compassion. Wow. So, so you're, you're telling me that shame is or, or perfectionism is linked to a deep-seated shame of some sort. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Wow, wow. That's profound. Okay. So to live authentically means the three C's you discuss: connection, courage, and compassion. That's how you live authentically? Yeah. So authentically, when I think of being authentic, basically, I think of you're free to be you. You know, you don't have to hide. You don't have to wear these masks. You don't have to present yourself as anything but who you are. And you give yourself the right to be who you are and you're okay with it. So it's just an acknowledgement of all of my scars, all of my wounds, all of my history, all of my regrets and my imperfections and saying, hey, I'm okay with that because all of those things make me unique and make me exactly who I am in front of you today. And when we're able to be authentic, then we're able to be present in the moment. We're not being pulled into our past with symptoms of depression and we're also not being launched into the future with symptoms of anxiety, we're able to just be present in the moment and stay focused on the conversation or the relationship that we're currently in without our brains wandering to what has been or what might be coming. Mm, okay. So freedom looks like it's where you're free to be you. There's no black cloud hanging over you, no shackles, no burdens. You feel light you don't have to hide. You're, you're free to be present in the moment like you just described. How does one gain that type of freedom from shame and guilt? You know, to be honest with you, it's not an easy process. And I think that that's what thwarts a lot of people 
is it feels like such an overwhelming task. It's so hard to look in the mirror and be okay with who we are, but the truth is it's a daily process and it's an ongoing process that will never end for any of us. It's a constant attempt to live each day a little bit better and accept ourselves a little bit more than we might have yesterday. So it takes us getting out of our comfort zone. One of the things that really gets in the way when we're talking about releasing shame is fear because fears tend to be, a lot of the fears that we have in modern day society are imaginary. They're not real fears. It's very rare. Our life is actually physically in danger. But we tend to make a lot of decisions from this place of fear. So getting ourselves out of our comfort zone is one of those things that we really have to start pushing and confronting our fears and challenging ourselves to step out of our safety zone. Because by doing so, we start building our confidence in ourselves, And we also are then able to put ourselves out there to connect and be vulnerable with other people. So it's much more about the journey instead of the destination. And then it's all about the connection, the courage, and compassion, the three ingredients that we talked about. And it's just that process of becoming stronger and more confident when it comes to claiming who we are and claiming our rights in relationships and just our rights as being a human being on planet Earth. Mm, mm, Love it. Love it. Well, we've been friends for a little while. I've been following you and your work for a while. It's very evident to me that you are living this. You are living with this freedom. And it's really beautiful to see. I can tell you're very comfortable with yourself, self-confidence, and living really from a place of love. So number one, it's very inspiring and very motivating to witness. Number two, I feel honored to know you and, and to be a witness of your work and the great things you're doing in the world. But tell us, has there ever been a time for you where you suffered from this toxicity of of extreme guilt or shame? And is that why you're doing what you do today? Great question. And absolutely. Again, like I said earlier in our discussion, everybody experiences shame at one point or another, and I am definitely far from perfect. So I have had many times where I experienced shame. But what I've also worked really hard on is recognizing when it appears in my life and bouncing back. And that's something that I referenced earlier. Was there a time where it was really challenging for me to bounce back? There definitely was. And it was my own quest of there's got to be something better than what I'm experiencing where I felt like I was trapped in a hole at the bottom and I couldn't see how to get myself out of the hole. I didn't feel like I had the skills to do it. And there's a sense of hopelessness that really embodies you when you are that deep in your shame story. But I got tired of it and I got sick of it and I grew determination and decided that there had to be a better way. I didn't do that by myself, though. I was inspired and empowered by other people around me who I was able to connect with and who gave me information as as far as helping me recognize where I was at. And through that, I started to make a lot of changes in my life. And so since then, do I still experience shame? I experience it all the time. But You know, for instance, my best friend and I got into a really big fight maybe two months ago, and I was told that I was not being a good friend to her. And man, did that send me on a spiral downwards into my shame story. And in the past, I probably would have stayed down for a significant period of time and shut her off and not talked to her for a while. And I would say that I went down into the bottom of my pit and I sat there maybe for a good 24, 48 hours just 
just really reliving the conversation and being angry. And how could she accuse me of that? How could she say that? And feeling defensive. And then I started to recognize, okay, wait a second, let me see what's going on within me. And when I was able to step back and recognize actually what my part of that conversation looked like, and also what she was bringing into this relationship, and what her fears were that were being expressed, we were able to have a very productive conversation. And I literally was able to release the shame that I was feeling from that accusation from my best friend and reconnect with her. But the only way I was able to do that was by being vulnerable. Had I not had the courage to step into my own vulnerability and say to her, look, I felt really hurt by you saying that. And here's some other, you know, information about how I'm not going to own this shame because I realized that that's not true. That's not my truth. I'm a really good friend. I'm a good friend, not just to you, but to a lot of other people in my world. And once I started showing that to myself, it was really easy for me to bounce back. It did take 24 to 48 hours of me being stuck in that before the other part of my brain kind of switched on. But that's because I've been practicing it for a long time. And I know for other people who've been stuck in their shame story for a long time, it's really hard to find that ability to create space between how we feel about ourselves and then look at the situation through a different filter. So it's just building a new habit is really what it is. I like to describe shame as being a bad habit that we just have to uproot that bad habit and replace it with something healthier. And that just takes time. It's a lifetime endeavor. And I'll never be free of shame, but I know that I'm, I have the skills to pull myself out when I go deeply into it. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's like exercising a muscle. The more often you practice it, the better you're going to get at it, just like any other skill in life. So do you have any tips for a husband and wife uh, or, or married couple where if one person starts to spiral into this toxic place of extreme guilt or shame over anything, what can one's partner do to help that person pull themselves out and uh, readjust the sails so that they start uh, moving in a favorable and positive direction? One of the things that I always suggest for partners is when anytime you declare that you're walking away from the relationship or you're saying, I need space, don't talk to me right now for whatever reason, it's so important that you designate an end period to that time period. So it might be, hey, I need an hour to myself. Can we revisit this in an hour? Or I need a day to myself. Let's revisit this in a day. We'll come back tomorrow. You always have to come back to that conversation and you have to own that deadline and really stick to that because what you're doing is you're showing perseverance and you're showing dedication to supporting each other when that happens. And then once you reconvene, being vulnerable with your partner. If you're, if you're the partner of somebody who's experiencing shame, be vulnerable yourself because what we know about vulnerability is vulnerability breeds vulnerability. It invites it in. And so if I was to sit here and tell you, gosh, Jen, I had this awful experience and I was feeling so hurt when X, Y, and Z happened to me, I can so relate to how you might be feeling right now. You know, the second I unveil a little bit about me and show my imperfections, it's going to make you feel so much more comfortable 
acknowledging and unveiling your imperfections. And then all of a sudden, we're having a connection free of defenses, free of the anger, and nobody has to be on guard. And now we've created a safe space for both partners to really connect and be emotionally available and actually hear what each one is saying without the the need to be in fight mode and be aggressive and defensive or the need to withdraw. Mm, I love what you said. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. That right there, folks, is hashtagable, tweetable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's great. I love that. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Beautiful. All right. What do you what do you recommend for couples where one person is spiraling into a place of guilt and shame and they are in such a toxic place that they either don't realize that they've gotten themselves into a bad place where they're depressed and low energy and they just can't see clearly how bad it is or they can and they don't know how to get out of it? What what can a partner who's watching this, what can the other partner do to encourage them to lift them up or to to help them in any way? What is the other partner? Uh, do you have any tips for the for the other partner? Yeah, so the first thing is the other partner has to recognize that they're not at fault. And this is a really hard thing when we're talking about a personal relationship because we tend to become so enmeshed emotionally in our partners. And if I have a partner who's experiencing shame and is lashing out, Part of my job is to take care of myself and recognize that there is a line between their emotions and their expression of their emotions and what I have to own. So the first thing I would say is take care of yourself first. Recognize that it is not your responsibility to get your partner out of their shame story or to change their behaviors. It is your partner's responsibility to recognize that. So once you're able to protect yourself and create kind of a a membrane of safety within you, then, you know, through conversations, through connecting with your partner at times where things are not explosive and they're not disconnected over simple moments, such as watching a TV show together or uh, something pleasurable that the two of you might just be enjoying ice cream together, something like that. It's great for that partner to then just express, hey, I just want to let you know These are some of the things that I'm seeing. And when I see these things, this is how I feel. And when I feel this way, it causes me to then react to you in this way. So what we're doing is we're talking about how I'm affected when I see your behaviors. We're not asking the other person to change. We're simply shedding light on our own experience of the other person's behaviors. And in all honesty, that's sometimes the best that you can do. Because when a person is so entrenched in their behaviors or in their shame story, and it's so poisonous to a relationship, we really have to sometimes distance ourselves to protect ourselves first. And we can't convince the other person that they're the one that has to change because all that's going to do is put them more on the defensive. And it's just going to create more distance between the two of you. So I say that it really comes down to protection of yourself first and finding the appropriate way. And whether it's through guidance of a coach or a great therapist, finding somebody who can help guide those conversations between the two of you to deactivate the defensiveness in the partner so that they can recognize how their own shame story is really appearing in the, in the course of the communications in the marriage and the relationship. 
Mm, I love that. I think I think it's great to to put it on you first and say this is what I'm seeing. This is how it makes me feel. This is what I'm thinking. This is how I'm responding because of it. And not only I think does it take the pressure off the person, you know, for them to react and be defensive, but it shifts the focus, even if just for a brief moment away from the person who's experiencing the guilt and the shame and and all the negativity that ensues because of it and uh, puts the focus on the other partner. And hopefully the hope is in that brief moment that the person experiencing it will have their eyes open to what this is doing to everyone around them. Before we go, I have three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite way to show love or self-care to yourself? For me, without a doubt, it's dancing. I absolutely love to go dancing, and I've gotten into competitive swing dancing, actually. So any time that I'm stressed out or in a bad mood, I hit the dance floor, I go to the local dance, and it just is completely freeing and detoxing for me. So that is definitely my favorite way of taking care of myself and showing myself some love. Hmm. I love dancing too. (laughs) I dance almost every day. It's so fun. Uh, Okay. Second question. Yes. Your favorite book. If everybody in the world were to listen or listen on audio or to read one book, what would you recommend? Okay. This is going to be a little silly um, and it has nothing to do with our conversation up to this point. But (laughs) when I, okay. When I think of books and books that made an impact for me, I go all the way back to high school and there's a book that I remember I did a book report on called Watership Down by Richard Adams. And again, this has nothing to do with the, the conversation that we're having about love and relationships, but Watership Down is a book about rabbits and all of these little farm animals that are given this humanistic personality and voice, and it portrays the world seen through the eyes of these rabbits. And I don't know what it is about that book, but it really struck a chord with me when I was younger. And it's one of those books that just has kind of a magical feel to me and brings me back into my childhood. So I would say that that's probably one of my favorite books. Mm, I haven't heard of it. I'm going to have to look it up now. It sounds fascinating. (laughs) Great read. Okay. um, Last question. What one action from human beings would you like to see more of in the world? I will definitely say compassion. I would love to see people looking at other people without judgment and instead seeing them in a form of compassion and acceptance. Uh, I just think that would make the world such a, a much better place and certainly more warm and inviting to all of the differences that we have across the many cultures, uh, especially here at home in the United States, but all across the world. Ah, perfect. I love it. I love it. Tammy, you have given us so much great information today. Thank you so much. How can people learn more from you? Yeah, absolutely. So the coaching program that I offer is I offer something called Healing Circles, and I specifically work with women who struggle with either the burden of a secret or who are experiencing intense shame and guilt due to some past 
life experience or traumatic event in their life. So any woman out there who is interested in learning more about what I do, they can go to my website, which is TammyGreenCoaching.com. And I like to remind people that my last name is spelled like the color, but with an E on the end. So it's G-R-E-E-N-E, TammyGreenCoaching.com. And through my website, they can contact me. They can read a bit more about what I offer in regards to healing circles and learn some more about shame and guilt. Beautiful, beautiful. I love the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. So psychotherapist and women's empowerment coach, Tammy Green. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time and expertise today on The Marriage Show. I really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. It's been great to speak with you, Jen. Thanks for tuning in to The Marriage Show. I appreciate the time you took to be with me today. If you love this show as much as I love making it, please subscribe, rate, and leave me a five-star review. That will allow us to inspire more people together. And if there's someone in your life that would benefit from any of the subjects we discuss here on the show, please share it with them. Text it to them, screenshot it, or email the link. Let's change lives together. Let's spread the love. Oh, and please find me on social media and tell me what subject you would like me to discuss here on the show. So head over to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I really would love your suggestion. And if you want to check the show notes from today's episode, you can find them at www.themarriageshow.com. And you can also listen to all of my other episodes there as well. Until next time, love one another. (laughs) 